It's time for the it's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this night or second day of September 2015. My land's how the time flies. We're here today with our co-host, Jay Basser, and uh, our guest speakers today are Dr. Batch and uh, John Dorley. Uh, always a pleasure to have them on, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, y'all got your pen and papers, and, and uh, we'll be able to take notes. If if not, uh, come back and listen to the show again in the archives. How you doing today, Doctor Bash? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, um, we had our friend um, Stretch die in the past month or so, huh? Yes, we did, and that was a sad occasion. I, I really uh, miss Stretch. Uh, we used to talk uh, just about well. We talked daily, uh, and uh, uh, you know he was he was an individual or a veteran that was. Uh, extremely concerned about the treatment of other veterans. I mean, you know, he was always concerned about somebody else, how he could help them in whatever way he could. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he was a veteran's advocate. He, he would help anyone. He was a good, good person. That was my impression. I worked a lot of cases with him, so... Yeah, he uh, he wouldn't hesitate. He would drop whatever he's doing to help a veteran. And uh, I feel he died uh, uh, too early, but, I mean, you know, uh, we don't have no control over that at times. I feel as though uh, the VA didn't do him right. I think there was a, a, a misdiagnosis there or neglect or uh, what do you call it, malpractice, as far as the VA goes. But that's not uncommon. He was a big man, really in statute. He's well over six foot tall, probably six six or six seven. And his heart was yeah, just as big. So. Yeah, he was, t- he was tall. Yeah, he's always telling me about uh, going to the VA and talking to a group of veterans and telling them all about had it and what happened there. And a few of them were all gone. A few of them actually stayed around to help. So, but uh, he's always, you know, advocating for, for you know, advocating for good veterans' care and. I just wish he'd have got outside the VA sooner. He'd probably still be here today. I think he would have. Uh, well, you know, it's hard to say. But I believe, I believe his chances would have been much better. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bash and Mr. Dorley, I heard you two guys have been pretty busy. We've <laughs> <laughs> been, as always, you know, trying to take these patients one by one. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I looked at your website. The other day, and uh, I saw the veteran that uh, I guess was in, was it in Maryland or where was it at that uh, yeah, Washington, the guy that had his leg? Yeah, Walter Reed. What happened to that? I mean, why did they do that guy that way? Well, I think that um, you know he had a lot of things going on, and and uh, you know when they go through the rating process, I think there's some effort to try and keep these ratings below 100. percent You know, so they rolled him in about 90 percent. And um, so I see that a lot with patients, and John probably does too. Patients, they hover them up 80%, 90%. And um, so in his case, there was two or three things that they didn't really look at to rate, and those were important issues, and they easily pushed him over 100%. So, um, you know, he was kind of upset because he was in Walter Reed for months, and a lot of his colleagues, you know, soldier buddies were getting 100% and higher ratings than his, and he thought that maybe his was... And his wife thought that his was inaccurate, and he was right about that. So, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure between the soldiers 
about what the ratings are. And so, and the VA is not totally perfectly consistent with the ratings because they go different places. And, but in that case, I think it's pretty obvious. How long did it take you to get it turned around? Oh, it's fast. We did that video. You probably saw the video on the website. We did the video. Yeah, I saw that. It's pretty awesome. Two o'clock, two o'clock on Thursday, and yeah. Thursday night at six o'clock, the VA called them up and changed his award, and the video aired on TV on Friday night. So before they loaded, yeah, you know, because the, v, the yeah. ABC wanted to interview, they wanted to interview the VA, and they didn't, they didn't want to interview. They don't want to talk about it. General so. Energy and Avenue, Mr. Mr. Cook, that's, you ought to consider something like that. That's my fastest. That's my fastest award. <laughs> Two four hours. Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's pretty, uh, about as fast as you're going to get. <laughs> oh, obviously. But, yeah, the point is not not all veterans should have to go to ABC News to get their award, you know. Yeah, that's true. Hey, Doctor Bass, sure. there's nothing like mass nothing like mass media to get things going for sure, and it, it's unfortunate that it it takes it to that degree that we have to really shake things up, but but. Certainly, mass media uh, works well, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, on the VA side, I mean, they're processing a lot of claims, and there's no way. I mean, I could probably take any claim that's out there and look at it, and John, the same way, probably tinker with it and change it, you know, some because it's complicated. But in this case, it's pretty obvious it was underrated, and, you know, yeah. so. I'm glad he got yeah, it. Yeah, Dr. Bash. Dr. Bash, I think certainly you're, you're correct. I think there's a. There's an effort on some VA officials, not all VA officials, to kind of keep veterans hovering at that 80 90% without looking at the trees before the forest, so to speak. And uh, anytime you lock in a young veteran at 100%, especially the permanent total, you're talking millions of dollars. And, and so, so that's uh, uh, not to say there aren't veterans that young rate 100% permanent total, but it tends to be a bit more difficult getting them at that level just because the amount of uh, compensation and residual benefits that come along with being 100% permanent total, especially when you have a veteran in their 20s and 30s. So, But uh, um, fortunately in this case, uh, from what I understand, he got his 100%, and I assume it's permanent total uh, change that day. Yeah, I didn't see the final uh, rating. They just called me and told me they gave him this award, <clears throat> and they said the doctor made a mistake in the in the CMP examination or the the DBQs. So that happens too, you know, because the doctors don't really realize how this whole thing weaves together, and you know they can make errors in categories. You change one category rating code to another, and it can make a big difference in the overall percent, even though it seems like a simple, you know, simple 10 or 20 percent change here and there. Well, what's what are the kind of cases you guys have been working on? I know y'all been doing one that's been uh, going on for a couple of years now. Y'all went to the, I guess you went to the BVA last week, didn't you? That's right. Hey, John, you want to talk about it a little bit? Our case. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Bash and I had the privilege of kind of teaming up together to present the case uh, via video conference to the Board of Veterans Appeals at the Louisville, Kentucky VA Regional Office on a uh, what we consider a, a deserved veteran who, if we're successful, would be in line for a substantial retroactive compensable award. Uh, yeah, it worked pretty slick, Dr. Bash. I, it was set up, uh, I was actually with the uh, family at the Louisville VA Regional Office by a video conference, and, and Dr. Bash, uh, uh, you actually live in, in, in Maryland, and so it was uh, opportunistic for you to actually be at the uh, at the Board of Veterans Appeals with the judge at the hearing, so it worked pretty well. Uh, it was it was a long hearing, about an hour, but but we went through it uh, item by item from the beginning and and answered the judge's questions and and I, I think it uh, I think it worked out as best as as could have been expected. Uh, but uh, Dr. Bash, what are your thoughts on it? I thought it went fairly well. Oh well, yeah, this case goes way back because. Um one of, the, one of the questions the judge asked me is if I'd seen the veteran, and I'd actually seen the veteran twice and examined him twice before, once prior to my report, and then once again when we, we had a, a DRO hearing prior to the BVA hearing. So I was kind of surprised really that the, the DRO didn't grant this in favor of the of the veteran because we, we presented you know a lot of the same argument 
some new things at the BVA. So, well, try it in these claims folder about Barrett that you'd seen him twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, my reports are in there. And um, yeah, I was at the I was at the ERO hearing with the patient in person. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's in the it's in the, it's in the uh, transcription. But um, so I mean, the judge. You know, my experience always has been the BVA. They each judge has five or six lawyers working for them, so they get a good chance to read the record, and then they usually are pretty careful with the way they try and analyze the case. So the judge was like that. He asked he asked good questions. He asked if I'd seen the patient, you know, and then he asked a question about the nexus between what he had in service and what he had now and asked some questions about the legal parts of that. John helped out with that and he kind of explained to me what he was looking for legally, which is always helpful when the judge explains what he's looking for legally then I can interpret that medically and give him kind of the answer that he's trying to ask. You know, you know it's, yeah, uh, it's so unfortunate that a lot of veterans just don't know about you two and and how you go to bat for them uh, because it's it's horrible that a lot of veterans go up against this type of of resistance by themselves or with unqualified people sitting there at their side and uh, they just get left out in the cold it's uh, uh, I imagine the numbers uh, just astronomical of the veterans that's been whooped up on and and not received the due uh, due process that they deserve. Let me tell you, let me tell you a funny story. I've done I've been doing BVA work for you know since probably '98 was some of the first opinions I did, and I've done a lot of video video and in-person cases. So, <clears throat> I don't know, about six, eight, ten years ago, I was down at the VVA doing a hearing like I just did with John, and I was out in the hearing room outside in the waiting room, and there was, a, there was like a head-injured veteran sitting there. And I said, um, I said, do you, uh, do you have anybody to help you with this case? Because no, I'm not like I'm by myself. I don't know, but, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and talk to the judge. <laughs> I said, well, you, you're in there by yourself, and you have a head injury that's going to eat you alive, and you're not going to know where to start or stop. So actually, I just asked if he minded if I go with him. I went right into the hearing with him and um, reviewed his C file before because we had a little time and did a little exam on him and um, helped him out with the with the case. But you're right, you know, the, a lot of those guys go in there and um, these judges have done cases for 20 years and you know they know the law inside and out. And a veteran there by himself can can say one or two things that hurts his case and which could be avoided if he had somebody helping. You know, to kind of trying to lead him through it a little bit. You track that veterans how how that veteran do? Do you track him through his through the rest yeah, of the case? Yeah, you got yeah, you got you got his award later on. But um so <laughs> he was he was just he was just a prototypical example of a guy that's just you know, during the headlights. And it, you know, if you do enough of these things you kinda of get an idea of what the process is and what the schedule is and what the judges are looking for and you know, you go there by yourself, it's like anything you do the first time by yourself, you're going to make mistakes. And it's kind of a very important thing not to make mistakes on if you can help it. What, well, what mistakes that can cost you yeah. years uh, years in, in in the claims, you know, appeals process. Uh, uh, veteran uh, really is, is a sitting duck because he's got to have the good help at the right time is going to be very successful. Yeah, cause it could be a five-year. It could be a five-year workup time to get to the BVA. You know, it could take even longer. Oh yes. What do you guys think's wrong with the VA as far as uh, some of these? Uh, I call them audacious awards that they give out. Uh, you know, you know people that they meet the requirements. They've got everything according to law. And they either come up and get denied or they get lowballed. Is there a system? I know it's systematic because it happens at every regional office across the country. And you've seen it in California and Maryland, haven't you, Dr. Bash? Yeah, I mean, there's pressure, and John probably can speak to that too, but there's pressure, there's budget pressures down on the Raiders, I think. And, you know, claim numbers for percent award rates are 
monitored. Like, for example, I want to say something about the BVA. I did a little write-up on recently that showed that they've tried to change some things there where they've increased their award rate to the highest I've seen. It's like 29.2%. And they had a higher number of claims, like 55,000 claims in FY14. Yeah. So some levels are trying to make change, but there is pressure on the readers to be accurate, but also I think there's some budget constraints along the way. Yeah. You think I've got time? an email. Yeah. I'll go ahead. I got an email last week saying that the from the VA saying that actually that their uh, claims backlog is now below a hundred thousand. And uh, so, if that's good, that's good. If that's accurate report, you know, I guess it could be. But I wonder how the appeals backlog is sitting now since the claims backlog is under a hundred thousand. Yeah, there's a there's a report. I know that one report I keep talking about that uh, at the BVA and it shows that they're 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 um, have it right in front of me, but their their backlog there is still pretty high. But they're trying to clear that out because they had that fifty-five thousand claims process last year. And you know, the BVA starts awarding more cases. It really helps out the processing because there's not as many appeals and and remands. You know, so the BVA can help decrease the backlog just by the fact that they do you know do a more accurate job or try and handle try and handle as many claims as they can. I'll look here for a backlog in a second. I always try to explain to veterans it's like uh, it's like a bus traveling on a racetrack with about ten stops. If the bus makes a stop, a veteran gets off, a veteran gets on. You know, a veteran will pass away and they put a noon on the rolls. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. So it's really not new money, so I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right, John, right. John I think John, I think there's a lot of pressure uh coming down from Secretary McDonald and under Secretary Hickey to to pound these claims out, and but I think there's also a, a, a special attention to speed does not always equate to quality. So, so we want them to to speed up these appeals and pending adjudicative issues, but but also do them accurately because obviously if they're not done accurately, that that promotes additional reconsiderations, appeals, remands. Uh, uh, I mean, it just you know it rolls downhill, and so I mean yeah. that's what it tends to be. And I think just thought to me, I, in the VA's defense, to some degree, certainly had a, a, a groundswell of additional compensation claims that came out as the result of uh, OIF and OEF veterans. Uh, uh, and I think certainly with with the cessation of the war with Iraq and the winding down of, of, of Afghanistan, uh, we're just I don't know what the numbers are, but I imagine we're not seeing nearly as many claims as we did when the when the height of the wars were going on. So I think that uh, plays into it a little bit as far as getting under that 100,000 uh, claims pending. But mm-hmm. that being said, uh, I've been doing this close to 25 years. I, I have never seen numbers like that pending appeals, excuse me, pending claims in general, really, under 100,000 is, is, is awesome. and. Yeah. For the most part, uh, Secretary McDonald and Undersecretary Hickey have been pretty responsible, responsive to uh, specific claims on on, uh, on veterans. So um, I think there's some, some kudos to be spread out there. Yeah, McDonald and Hickey are doing a great job as far as cases I get to their desk. You know, one by one, if I have a written problem, I get to them and they fix it like the next day. But um, <clears throat> the, um, the, back to that report, it said that they had – at the BVA by itself, they had 66,000 cases pending in FY14. They expected another 74,000 in FY15. So that's like 140,000 cases the workload at the BVA by itself. So I'm not sure where that 100,000 number comes from because there's a lot of cases out there at the regional office that are pending. So it may be a little bit of an accounting thing that's going on. Yeah, Dr. Bash, I got the impression that it was simply related to pending pending claims with respect to VA regional offices, not accounting for BVA, CVA. Uh, but I, I I could be wrong, but that's the impression I got from the study. All those cases, they should probably keep them all in one pot, you know, because they're all claims that guys have pending, you know, whether they're at the regional office or the BVA or wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It uh, Until they're complete... Either yay or nay, it should be counted as a claim in process. Yeah. Don't matter whether it's in the appeal or 
in the pokey truck or wherever it's at. But, uh, yeah, certainly what I like to do is as an independent power of attorney, I, I can get in on the ground floor of any claim or I can jump right in the middle of something. Uh, Dr. Bash and I are, are working a little bit on, on a particular veteran who has an actual EVA video conference hearing coming up later this month, and, and he and I really weren't aware of it until about a week ago. So um, I guess the point I'm making is, is that Dr. Bash and I can help even at that very late stage in the game. Um, this veteran didn't have any power of attorney. He was just going to go in solo and, and plead his case, and in talking to him, uh, if he'd have went in solo without anybody helping him, I, 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 I just couldn't see how he was going to win that claim. Um, but with me and Dr. Bash involved, I give him a pretty good chance. So I guess the point I'm making is that regardless of where your claim is at, whether it's initiating a brand-new claim, which, which I get involved in, uh, or if it's actually on appeal at the local VA regional office, or if it's on appeal with the Board of Veterans' Appeals, um, get in contact with us because that's something we can help with. Just back to some more numbers. The uh, the BVA is really starting to crank. They have uh, video conferences like John just mentioned, and they've almost increased their video conferences by 100% over the last three years from like 3,000 to 6,000 a year. And they've increased their decisions like 40% over the last two or three years to 55,000. So there's, like John says, there's some, some support from high up to process these claims quicker. And, um, but the veteran needs to have an accurate case, and that's where John and I can help out if they need us. So there's nothing wrong with going the video conference route. Uh, yeah, I like the video. I like the video. I I, I don't like the travel board because the travel board takes forever to schedule, and the judges do like 11 cases a day. But my experience yeah. with the video, the video is pretty close to the in-person. I think the in-person is best. I think it's, you schedule it faster and you get more time with the judge and you're there in person. But the video is very good. I think they're very close, one and two. And the same thing, the video, the judge doesn't seem to be under a lot of pressure to get the cases done because he's right upstairs and comes down wherever he wants to. and So he doesn't have to travel. And, you know, so, and they have access, everybody has access to the record now. It used to be the, the claims file was only you know, like in front of the judge, but now it can be electronic anywhere, so that makes the video much more powerful. So I think video and in-person are pretty close in quality for the patient, for the veterans. I like the video conference, Dr. Bash, and I think as you pointed out prior, uh, these, these traveling board judges, they're, they're traveling all over the country, obviously, and, and sometimes they're doing 10 to 11 hearings a day. And they're, they're human beings, they're wore out, and, and, and I'm sure they get tired and frustrated and and, and so I, I just think uh, having a video conference, you've got a judge who has a lot more uh, discretion on what they can do. They're they're actually not traveling all over the country. They're in their own bed the previous night, and 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 they come to work like they normally do. And it it just allows, in my opinion, a much brighter and fresher opinion from a judge as opposed to traveling board. So certainly, traveling board is an option for veterans. I'm not saying you can't win a case. By a traveling board, but but if I had my choice, it would be a uh, uh, video conference because the client it's a lot easier for them to get to the video conference. That they're usually within an hour distance of their local VA regional office, as opposed to uh, actually going to Washington D.C., which is an option as well. And and but uh, video conference seems to garner the best of both worlds. So I like it myself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, that's a good point about the workload on judges. You know, it's impossible. I've been doing these cases for a long time. But say if a judge goes on travel for four or five days and does 50 cases, you know, in four or five days, there's no way you can read those cases to be prepared for the conference. You know, it's impossible. So um, whereas the video or the or the in-person one, the judge has, you might have one, one case a day or, you know, five cases a week that are conferenced on video or in-person. So it's a much easier workload. It's, you know, more more doable when you can actually read the file. Like that case that case we just did, the judge had read the file. I mean, he knew the questions to ask, and um, he was on top of it. I mean, he did a nice summary at the end of the, of the conference and was right on top of all the issues and asked pertinent questions, and it was a very good, uh, I thought, a very fair um, analysis. Yeah, 
In that well, case, yeah, is record timing too, wouldn't it? What's that? Yeah. The case is a record timing too, wouldn't it? I mean, it. I mean, the the video conference was scheduled, and I guess it happened all within thirty days, didn't it? No, oh, John knows how they go, John. Yeah, this is a case where you had a, a veteran who is ninety-one years old and in, in failing health, very poor health, uh, and uh, we had requested the assistance of. Uh, under Secretary Hickey to try to expedite this claim, and, and certainly even without her assistance, VA law does uh, allow for an expedite of claims if a veteran is, uh, nine, is 90 years or older, and certainly this veteran fell into that, but, but with the assistance of Under Secretary Hickey, it, it moved with lightning speed. Now, now granted, we, we weren't successful in, in getting the Louisville VA regional office to see it our way, uh, I guess I have my own opinions on that, but but uh, uh, we 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 had decided that it was just better off getting that claim out of the Louisville VA regional office and and not present new and material evidence and just keep keep spinning our wheels in Louisville uh, and get it out of there and get it to Washington D.C. at the Board of Veterans Appeals and it moved lightning speed. It, in fact, I got a call from the the representative at the Board of Veterans Appeals. They wanted me to do it that next day. Uh, well, obviously we had logistics. I just set up airline for me to get there, and Dr. Bash needed to clear his calendar. I needed to clear my calendar. But we were able to get it that following week, uh, and, uh, yeah, it worked real quick. And Dr. Bash and I were both well-prepared, and and, and the law judge that, that looked at the case, uh, he pretty much hit the ground running, and, and that testifies to having the uh, video conference because a lot of times the traveling board uh, judges as far as my experience has been um, they're kind of they're kind of just reviewing the files as they get them as the hearing is conducted so um, yeah that's kind of how it played out if you have you have the veteran in poor health like we do and we have the age of 91 uh, they will work them real quick as long as you uh, contact the right people so, John, give us a little timeline, because I know that during the hearing, the patient couldn't even come to the hearing because he's in the hospital. He's that sick. But, like, was it a month before that we got the you got the DRO decision? And you worked, how did the timeline go? Yeah, from the time we got the uh, statement of case from the DRO, um, I got the substantive appeal, also called the Form 9, faxed to the uh, VA the next day. Um, I had a family member on 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 behalf of, of the veteran, uh, contact uh, Under Secretary Hickey right away, and I helped draft the, uh, the, the, the email to send to her, and, and uh, uh, Under Secretary Hickey made the appropriate phone calls, and, and uh, I would say within the next couple of days, as I mentioned, I got that call from the Board of Veterans' Appeals. They want to do the hearing the next day, and, and, and certainly that would not have been appropriate for the veteran. We needed to get all of our ducks in a row, but we were uh, able to hit the ground running probably that next week. The hearing was actually August 24th, and so my understanding is, is that the uh, the transcript is is in the process of being completed, if not already, and and the uh, the attorneys and 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 the judge that was administering the hearing will be looking at that case. Uh, we're we're kind of under the gun uh, in this case. The veteran is 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 in more failing health than usual. Hospice is being talked about. So uh, the Board of Veterans Appeals is aware of that. So we're, we're hoping that this case can be uh, approved and, and, and pumped out here in the next week or so. So, John, between when you faxed the Form 9 and when the hearing was held, with all the delays, it was like two weeks or roughly? Yeah, about two weeks. Uh, if the BVA had it their way, they would have done it within a week, and that just yeah. attests to how fast it can be done. But, uh, yeah, I would say within two weeks. That was probably the slowest uh, part of that. I had to travel. I mean, that's not the norm. Uh, that's not the norm, obviously. I mean, you, you have to have very specific reasoning and rationale for something to move that quick. So for those listeners out there, uh, you know, I preface that by saying, uh, your typical turnaround time on any BVA appeal certainly isn't two weeks. It, um, unless you have mitigating circumstances, uh, you probably, in my estimation, would be looking about a year before you actually uh, 
get even a video conference. If you do a traveling board, it's taken even longer than a year. But but as I said, if you can demonstrate uh, uh, failing health, terminal health, uh, if you can show financial hardship, uh, if you can show uh, excessive age, uh, the, the Board of Veterans Appeals is pretty good about getting that expedited. And what they call advanced, they call it advancing it on the docket is the technical term that the VA uses. Yeah, because the docket numbers are the way they're supposed to do the cases in order. So if they get 76,000 new cases and they do 55,000 cases, this is going to be over a year, you know, unless there's some docket advancing. That's exactly right. Uh, once, a, uh, once a judge writes a, uh, you've shown good cause uh, to advance on the docket, once a judge shows that, don't that stay in your record until it gets advanced? I mean, you know, uh, it, it should put your your uh, claim on the on the top of the pile. Yeah, you're right. Once Gerald. a judge once a judge sends that letter and says uh, you have shown just cause for advancement on the docket, and therefore it is granted. Once that's granted, don't that stay to the end? It, it, it goes matter. to the top. Yeah, Gerald, it does go to the top of the pile, but you also have to understand there's probably a good handful of other claims that, are, that have already been advanced on the docket, so there's kind of that separate waiting period. Uh, but, uh, but, certainly it's, but certainly it's going to uh, uh, be expedited over and above probably 99% of the other Claims that are on appeal with the Board of Veterans Appeals. Anytime, anytime the Board of Veterans, anytime the Board of Veterans Appeals makes a decision, uh, if in fact it's remanded, there's always the statute that that the Board of Veterans Appeals mandates that the uh, agency of jurisdiction, the VA regional office, uh, uh, expedite the claim based on the fact that it's remanded, uh, and that's certainly where a, a qualified power attorney is going to want to get on their horse with that local VA regional office to to try to get that claim expedited so that if it's remanded back to the Board of Veterans Appeals, it, it should still go back to the top of the pile based on the previous uh, advancing on the docket. Well, that's what I was getting to. Okay, so it goes, uh, they advance it on the docket, they send it back, uh, and then the board says, oh, this this and this and that's wrong. They send it back for further development. That still should keep that claim on top of the pile, shouldn't it? You shouldn't yes. have to go back to the judge and ask him to rewrite the letter. Well, no, no, because once you once you've crossed that bridge, it should stay the way it is. Um, your 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 rationale for advancing on the docket doesn't change unless. Uh, for some reason, it was advanced based on financial hardship, and 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 the Board of Veterans Appeals or the VA has come into evidence to show that there's no longer a financial hardship. Um, that's that's a possibility where it could, you know, not be on that uh, quote unquote top of the pile anymore. But other than that, uh, the illness is probably not going to change. The, the terminality of it, uh, the age certainly isn't going to change. So. That's the only scenario where I could think of that it may no longer be on on that uh, advancement on the docket uh, stage. Hey, John, this piece uh, we just talked about, yeah, did you get a letter that said that they advanced it or just, they just did it verbally? Oh, I did. In the case? Yeah. Oh, the case we just did, did they? Uh, oh, doc, yeah, Dr. Bash, we did. Um, that did was, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But one more thing is that the um, back to that, back to that BVA uh, report, they're doing 221 decisions a day, so if a case gets advanced up, it can go through pretty quickly, as we can see, you know. Yes. Huh. Well, uh, that's a lot of decisions. That's really interesting. Because, uh, but, uh, I would just use mine as, as an example because uh, I know what's happened to mine. And 
being advanced on the docket was certainly not one of them. So what happened in your Even though the advanced? judge did send a letter in Pacific to advance it on the docket because of, of uh, you know, uh, circumstances, ill health, uh, stuff like that. Maybe that's, a quirk in, maybe that's a quirk in the system. Maybe we should let McDonald know about that because maybe when they get advanced at the BVA, that, that advancement doesn't propagate down to the regional office the same way, you know, with the same... Well, that's what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but it should. You shouldn't yeah. have to go right. back to the judge and say, right. hey, everybody's ignoring this. Would you rewrite it? Or, I wouldn't think that would mm-hmm. be the case. But don't forget, gentlemen, on, on each BVA case and court case that actually are remanded back to either level, there's usually a paragraph at the bottom of the claim saying this claim is being remanded back to so-and-so or whatever, and this remand in itself deserves expeditious treatment. And uh, so well, the regional officer, yeah. But they don't pay attention but, to that at all anymore, I guess. But then yep. the judge sees that to write an additional letter on top of that. Now, that was one thing I couldn't figure out. Whenever they did do do that, well, maybe I'm getting a soft base here. But anyway, uh, that's, that's a given whenever your case gets remanded, that it's supposed to be expedited. However, when the judge sees fit that they have to attach a letter to that, shouldn't would they give it any more authority? Yeah. All right, here comes a, a million-dollar question, Dr. Bash and John. Have you guys ever, in your time as being a, a, the best medical advisor and a good advocate like Mr. Dorn, have you ever looked at a veteran and looked at his paperwork and say, I don't think you have a case, buddy? <laughs> yeah, it happens. Uh, it happens, yeah. Yes, Usually yeah, time, sure. Yeah, by the time it gets to me, you guys are pretty sick and they have things that, and people ask me that all the time, it's like, how do you know, you know, which cases are good or bad? And So a guy might get frustrated and put in like 15 claims, you know, he puts in like 15, 20 claims. And so actually I had a medical student with me recently, and we did one of those cases where they had a, a long um, a long problem list, you know, differential problem list on their medical record. And I told the student, I said, there's like 30 things on this list. Please take these 30 things and group them in categories of disease. Like it could be, you know, stroke and then secondary things from stroke. And so we boiled that 30-person 30, 30 list down, 30-thing list down to like 10 disease processes. And so I do the same thing with the veterans. They look at their claims, and they have... A lot of claims, sometimes they try and do shotgun claims. I understand that. And I just say that this is not a good claim, that's not a good claim, but these two things together make another claim that is a good claim. That way it works. And so also what happens is a veteran, a classic example is a veteran, say, I have chest pain, chest pain, it's my heart, it's my heart, I'm dying for my heart. And I look at his record, maybe get x-rays, and I look at his chest, and he has a lung, a lung lesion, you know, lung pneumonia or pneumothorax or scarring or something like that. So what I do is I change, change the diagnosis, make it more accurate, and then that's a claim that was a bad claim. I turned it into a good claim because it was a wrong diagnosis. How, how, did, your, how did yours go, John, something like that? Uh, you know, as, as a, one, one of the first things I learned when I started on this job in 1992 is, 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 is as a power of attorney or a veteran service officer, uh, I always wanted to keep a very open mind. Every case is like a snowflake. There, there's always something different about it. So anytime I do an executive review of a file, I go through it page by page, and, and I make my own analysis on on what claims could be made, uh, what claims probably couldn't be made, what our chances are on certain issues, and then I talk to the claimant, whether it's a veteran or a widow, and get an idea from, from them as far as what they want to get rated, what they're looking at trying to do. And and uh, one thing I always try to do is, is I don't think John I've ever, John Stacy, I don't think I've ever told a veteran, you don't have a chance here. Uh, you know, leave my office, leave me alone, don't bother me, anything like that. And I've heard a lot of advocates, I, I guess I've heard a lot of veterans report that advocates tell them, you don't have a, a case here, um, stop wasting my time. I, I guess what I always try to do is be very open-minded, 
I would say at least 99% of the time I'm able to talk to the veteran or the claimant and, and discuss the case with them and put it in a way where they come up with their own conclusion as to whether they had a case or not. Um, yeah. I know in the back of my mind there are there are issues that veterans want to get compensated for, and I know in the back of my mind, based on my knowledge of CFR and M21, they're, they're just not going to win this case. But in the end, it's my job to put the best case forward for the veteran, even if it's a case I don't feel like they're going to win. So I always give them their day in court. And I have had a few veterans that say, John, I don't care what you're saying here. I want my day in court. And I'm going to give them that. Uh, as I mentioned, 99 times out of 100, I'm going to be able to persuade them or, or let them discover for themselves uh, what, case, what what claims should be made, what shouldn't. And, and Dr. Bash, certainly uh, I'm not a medical physician, so if there's even a shred of doubt in my mind uh, as to whether a veteran has a case or not and it's medically related, uh, I'm certainly going to defer to someone like you or their own personal physician or Oftentimes, I'll tell a veteran, well, I think with what we have now, we're, we're, we're likely not going to win this claim, but if you could talk to your doctor, your GP, your specialist, or whoever you're dealing with, provide a nexus, uh, uh, then I think we have a better case. And, and certainly, I have my own format that I go through with doctors and what they need to show and and, and what they have to uh, advise the veteran. And a lot of times, I can get a good doctor's report and make that case a lot stronger. Yeah, so um, in my experience, you know, I've had the, the board chairman call me in and ask me, you know, why are you doing these cases? I don't like what you're doing. <laughs> so I told him, I said, well, you know, the cases I do are bona fide cases, and uh, and that's why I have such a high success rate, like 90%. If my cases weren't, if I didn't write good opinions and the cases weren't bona fide, you guys wouldn't be granting them at such a high rate. And I've had other judges back in the day ask me if this was a, a bona fide case, and I said, you know, I, I write when I write my opinion, I sign it. I think that they all are bona fide. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not there to fabricate cases or a lie for the veteran or something like that. I just look at the record and I make my assessment of what it is. And sometimes I change the diagnosis and stuff like that. But the cases that I think are not good, like I said before, I kind of filter them a little bit. And John said the same thing that the veteran might ask for six things and really has three that are related to the six, and you can put claims in for those. And so it's a way of kind of filtering, filtering claims. And the VA should really be happy that we do that because. You know, if we don't filter these cases and get them down to the cases that are really bona fide and have good credibility, then the VA has to go through and do that sorting themselves, you know. Yeah. I think yeah, that's Dr. a good Bash. idea, though, uh, uh, Dr. Batch. Uh, what you're doing there, uh, you're taking multiple uses, I mean, uh, ailments, and and breaking them down to the the uh, ones that the VA will recognize. And I, I believe all too many times uh, that's where a claim gets off on the wrong foot. A veteran goes in and uh, his BSO or whoever he has uh, starting out with, usually it's the wrong people, uh, but then they say, let's just put put everything down, you know. And uh, maybe something will stick to the wall. But in reality, uh, it comes down to where he may only have uh, uh, two or three issues or maybe even just one issue that is uh, worthy of of, uh, uh, service connection. You know, a classic example really helps you with a nexus. It might be a guy that has a head injury in service but didn't really know it. He goes out and claims all these things, memory loss and PTSD and depression, and maybe he has some other physical things that all relate back to that one, like you said, that one incident of a TBI, you know. And so by by trying to group these disease, basically group these symptoms and get a correct diagnosis, then it really helps me go backwards and try and make that nexus link because I can look on the record for a cause that links to that. You know, if you said shotgun... If you have a real diffuse set of symptoms that the veteran has all these claims in for, you know, the, sometimes the readers and, and the veteran themselves don't really know what, what diagnosis goes with that, and that's what muddies the water. Yes, I agree on that. that uh, uh, and I think that happens all too often in the beginning of a claim, and that claim to get off on the wrong foot. That's, 
once that happens, it uh, then you have to backtrack, and it's it's hard to to build a claim as you're moving down the road. Let me add a that's new, that's uh, John Doroy does a lot too, right? John, all that filtering stuff is very valuable. He says it sets the claim up correctly with the right issue. Well, it sure does, Doctor Bash, and and I do believe the majority of the VA rating specialists, uh, DROs, coaches, uh, they like good, tight, uh, solid claims. For the most part, not in all cases, but for the most part, if they can rate a claim, they can get in, get out, get the veteran as compensation, they're happy. I mean, then they're satisfying their superiors. They're clearing it off the appeals docket. They're doing what needs to be done. What gets frustrating for VA officials, and in my opinion anyway, is when you have that scenario where, where a veteran has uh, multiple claims and, and maybe they have a dozen of them and, and looking at it, maybe three or four are the only ones that are really legit. And even the veteran would agree that these other ones probably aren't legit, but I'm going to throw them against the wall and see what sticks. And, and But that causes a... a a large uh, uh, backload for the VA. They have to provide due process, and, 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 and that's the law, and they have to do that. But I, I guess what I like to do is, is do a pre-consult with the veteran and identify the claims and make it very clear that these are really the legitimate claims we should be doing, and I'll certainly file these other claims for you, but if you want to get the claims sooner than later done and get compensated at the same level you normally would, uh, let's do it this way. A lot of my clients, they're looking for that, that holy grail of 100% permanent total, and and those are very hard to get. They're, as Dr. Bash had pointed out, there's only about 30,000 veterans in the country that carry that 100% permanent total status. If I can get a veteran 100% permanent total through other means by maybe eliminating other claims that, that have no chance at winning, uh, and concentrate on a specific issues that achieve the same success, 100% permanent total, we're going to get the claim done a lot sooner. Everyone's going to be happy. And, and Dr. Bash's medical opinions and, and working with him, he's going to cut right to the chase, and he's going to allow me to get what I need. And, and oftentimes Dr. Bash will expound on medical issues that I didn't even think about that, that have legitimate bearing as well. So. It's so important for veterans to get a good, tight, solid claim going right off the bat with the regional office. But if it's not until the Board of Veterans appeals, it's not too late to to do it then too. Yeah, some of the background no. also mixes up things is that you know veterans have a lot of private doctors, and the private sector has about sixty-six or seventy thousand diagnostic codes they work with. So the veteran rolls in with these diagnostic codes, and then you have to try and mix those codes, boil them down to the VA's 22,000 codes. And so that's a medical filter that has to go on, too. So that's kind of confuses the veteran and the whole process. Another area I wanted to ask Dr. Bash about is, uh, you know, once a veteran gets his 100% rating, you know, he's kind of done working. You know, I guess I guess we've got to schedule the rating and still work, but... Uh, we all know that uh, Social Security disability and, and VA compensation kind of go neck and neck. You know, if a veteran gets 100%, then he files a Social Security claim and to get a disabled student with disability Social Security. Uh, sometimes uh, Social Security is harder process than the VA because their their rules are different than the VA. And uh, Dr. Bash, I think I saw on your website where you do some Social Security stuff too, along with the VA. Is that is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've gone to Social Security hearings. Yeah. So Social Security under the age of 50 is harder just because of the age bias they have. But um, the other thing is I've noticed, you know, with both those processes is that they have a different sort of medical evaluation. So a lot of times with Social Security, I can use a lot of the records that the VA has generated and vice versa because oftentimes the Social Security will send the, vet, the patient out for medical evaluations or, or book rehab or psychiatric things. And so those records come over to the VA side and, you know, both both systems are supposed to ask for those records, but sometimes they don't read them because they can be pretty voluminous on either side, you know. So if you dig through those records for Social Security and use them for the VA and vice versa, I found that to be helpful. You know, the Social Security system is all or none. It's zero or 100%. There's no in-between rating, so it's sometimes a hard, high threshold. But if the patient's 
over 50 and they have a serious thing, then those go through. I've had those go through in two weeks really quickly. But uh, if they're under 50 and they have a serious illness, sometimes they can linger along and it depends on the illness. For example, spine. I know the spine and the Social Security things are granted pretty quickly because they realize how, how serious that is. People can't walk and bowel and bladder problems. They actually do spine, I think, in a better way than the VA does. The VA lingers on the spine cases a lot and, you know, says that the guy wasn't parachuting or that he didn't break his back and serve, you know, stuff like that, that they try and sometimes make it more difficult to get those granted. The Social Security is broke down different, too, though, because when you do, I guess your report's different because you have to list uh, basically what the person can do and you got to you got to write everything, I guess, where they can sit and stand and things like that, all based on eight-hour work day. Is that correct? Yeah, some of that stuff, but it's not that much different than what I might write for a uh, TDIU claim, you know. I've kind of learned from both of those and try and I try and mix them because I know, I know when I write my reports that sometimes veterans will take them and use them for Social Security and vice versa. So I try and yeah. keep that in mind so I don't, you know, make it hard for them to be successful someplace else. Uh, listener note, you guys listen to the show here. Just keep in mind that Dr. Bash does do Social Security tests. So if you're looking for a, an opinion for a Social Security claim, uh, there's you another avenue to look at. I mean, he can examine you or whatever it takes to get you done. So. I know a lot of attorneys that do Social Security cases have doctors in their, I guess they have doctors on their payroll that actually do uh, examinations. But, uh, you know, if you want a person that knows both systems, I mean, it's a, that's a win-win for the veteran against my Dr. Bash because no other doctor that I've seen knows the VA system, that knows the regulations, and has a relationship with the veterans and the, and the VA that Dr. Bash does have. So, I mean, it's a, you know, that's a given. And, uh, I kind of saw this by my experience. I think I'm the only only doc that's ever been to the BVA exam, for example, for testimony. John, have you ever seen, had a doc go to the BVA for a testimony, a video or anything? No, no, I really yeah. haven't. I think I think yeah. you're unique in that case. And then Dr. Bash had also had the you do uh, medical opinions for tort liability claims as well, don't you? Yeah, I do those like the 1151 cases. Um, <clears throat> those you know those those are nice. Um, I really like the philosophy behind the VA's, the VA's um, 1151 things. You know, years ago it was this carte blanche that if you had injury during VA medical care that they covered you for that, which is a real generous thing because stuff happens all the time in hospitals. And I think the whole nation should have something like that because you know you shouldn't be hurt when you go for medical care and things bad things happen occasionally. But yeah, I do those and um, you know I understand the rules and I understand the idea of this expected outcome and you know the VA oftentimes tries to use the idea that it wasn't on a consent form or the patient was told this could happen, but it's not really fair that even if you tell them it's going to happen, if it only happens in 5% of the time that you had it happen to you. So, um, you know, I understand that process. And I do those, I do those, you know, occasionally. And if the listener is wondering what an, 11, what an 1151 claim is, in, in a nutshell, basically the VA doctor screwed up and caused you irreparable yep. harm. And 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 the veteran can file what's called an 1151 statute claim, and be compensated for that uh, that error that caused you your disability, just as if it's a service-connected disability. And what I was talking about earlier was a tort liability claim, which which is like a personal lawsuit against the VA medical center that can run in conjunction with an 1151 claim. And so, yeah. Dr. Bash, you, you you've done medical opinions for yeah. that as well. Yeah, both those those things those both kind of get blurred in my mind from a medical standpoint because they they boil down to the same basic idea about the quality of the care and the expected outcome for the case. So I can write a letter for either one of those things, and they, you know, they, um, the my thinking is down the same pathway. But yes, I can do both of them. Some of those tort states are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one that comes to mind. I think it's a two-year statute of limitations, if I remember right. So for any veteran, when you first come across the understanding you've been harmed, that clock starts ticking. You need to file your tort liability claim within two years, and and uh, I'm actually working a case with Dr. Bash on that right now. Yeah, that's from the day of discovery, too, though. It don't have to be two years from the day it happened, right? Yeah, yeah the, day that the, patient, was, uh, yeah, patient, the day the patient understands that, that they had the problem like sometimes that amounts to when they talk to me like they'll talk to me and I'll tell them it could be one or two years down the road and I say well, this didn't look like it went quite the way it's supposed to go and then that's when they understand because 
this complicated stuff, the patient doesn't necessarily know what's the expected outcome or not. And it doesn't have to necessarily be fault. It can just be, it can, you know, say, for example, you go in for spine surgery and only 1% of people have a major complication and you have a major complication. The doctor might have done everything exactly right, but the expected outcome, that major complication is not what you expect, is only 1%. So those cases can be won that way. Good deal. So, yeah. so Dr. Bash, I guess you're in California, aren't you? Yes. Okay. John, I guess you're in Minnesota. Yes, I am. Okay. So, uh, folks, if you do need to use Dr. Bash, you can uh, go to his website. It's uh, veteransmedicaladvisor.com. Just look at his website, and you can see uh, it's got a whole host and list of his qualifications. And there's several pages of stuff. Uh, very busy guy. Uh, you can also uh, uh, email Dr. Bash at uh, what's your email address, Dr. Bash? Uh, drbash at doctor.com. drbash at doctor.com. On my website, the, the email's on there, but also on the left-hand side, there's a thing called uh, Bash Bulletin, and there's like 30 little bulletins on there, things like what do you do if you have to go to a BVA hearing or how do you process certain types of medical issues. And there's a lot of cool little tidbits of stuff in there that you can read. Okay, and... Uh... Mr. Dorley, his, uh, he's out of Minnesota there. Uh, John, give us your uh, contact information. We'll keep it on the keep it fresh for the people to see it. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can contact me one of two ways. My telephone number, area code 651-303-3062. That's area code 651-303-3062. You can email me at benefits agent at comcast.net just like it sounds benefits agent at comcast.net and uh, if, if, if in fact any veterans are trying to reach Dr. Bash directly and as busy as he is he's given me authority to, to feel any phone calls uh, I will talk to Dr. Bash and explain that uh, someone's trying to get a hold of you and, and so that, that's, a, that's a route you can go through me to get Dr. Bash as well Good, you know, and Gerald, we got about uh, two and a half minutes left, everybody. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hate to say it, this hour's went by really quick. Uh, you guys have given out a lot of good information, and uh, I'm certain someone out there can utilize it, capitalize on it. So hopefully, we'll be able to get you all back on here. Uh, sometime real soon. It's been too long since we've had you on. It's been a while. Uh, and it's always a pleasure because you give out such good information. It's uh, Veterans need to be aware on, on these claims, especially you're, you're dealing with uh, medical issues and, and you need to have the, the best of the best. Uh, helping you. It's a difficult time and uh, when you're trying to go through the claims process and certainly uh, you want the best medical opinions you can get and uh, the expertise in, in how to structure your claims and uh, someone to guide you along the right roads. Uh, uh, now <coughs> Unlike regular attorneys, uh, uh, John Dorley, uh, you can come in right at the very beginning, can't you? I I can conduct what's called an executive review of the file and uh, uh, put that together for the veteran and advise them uh, that I that that uh, the specific direction that they want to go. Uh, and it's it's pretty much called a pre-consult. Give them yeah. an idea of. What, what I see and what they should do. Well, from my observation over the years, uh, these claims uh, go awry at the very beginning. Uh, doggone it, they get off on the wrong foot uh, through, uh, they're, they're not advised properly, they get hooked up with the wrong people or unqualified people, and that can cost a veteran, oh my lands, uh, untold. Uh, countless years, 
in the claims process. Uh, and and that's one reason you want to seek out the best qualified individuals you possibly can to assist you with the claims process. But at any rate, we're we're glad to have you on and hope we can get you back on soon. Uh, and uh, and folks out there, don't forget to add it to a dot com website. It's it's a wealth of information. Everyone should be able to utilize it if you're a veteran. So uh, please uh, come there and don't forget to donate. But and this will be Gerald Cook with uh, Jay Bassard. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bassard Show. Thanks, guys.